You are now tuning in to the Own the Build podcast. Join Sealing's very own Paul Hemming, where each week he interviews experts from the world of construction and asks all the important questions around intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode 76 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming. I hope everyone's doing well. I hope everyone is just penning their review for us on Apple Podcasts to know how we're doing. Please do leave us one. I would appreciate it greatly. Today, we are joined by someone who I've known for quite some time. We're joined by Bruce Bell, who is founder and CEO at Facet Homes, who are a company using digital manufacturing technology to create individually designed high-performance homes, which I've seen, and they are amazing. How are you today, Bruce? I'm very good, thank you. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, very uh, uh, very busy times at the moment, so uh, it's good, good for us right now. Tell me what you've been doing today. Well, this week we're handing over a new property. Uh, we've got a house which is handing over tomorrow, so it's been quite a, quite a busy time just getting the final things uh, finished, and literally tomorrow morning it goes over to the customer I was down there a couple of days ago just checking the final final things and um yeah it's probably perfect the, time to be sat here with me then yeah 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 exactly it's it's uh, probably the 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 smoothest project yet so um oh really yeah, fantastic it's been, it's been a really quick quick build six and a half months that one so it's probably our fastest yet and we're probably going to talk about exactly how you have executed that with such speed and quality later on in the show Bruce, but I've mentioned there briefly that Facet, you're a business that I know quite well. We actually work together, which is great. You use digital manufacturing technology to create individually designed high-performance homes. I took that from your website, but tell us about you and your business. Our business is is aimed to deliver the, the best possible homes we can to our clients, We've evolved over over the years to build ourselves a kind of whole suite of digital tools that allow us to design what we want, guarantee performance, quality, build to the customer. Kind of fundamentally, we take an approach to traditional construction, which is to digitize it. So as opposed to modular construction where people are focused on the factory, our focus is on how can we use digital technology to integrate and transform existing processes um, rather than kind of chuck it all out the window and say we've got to start again from scratch. So we're very interested in that that kind of marrying of, of existing processes, digital technology, and how we can transform uh, the construction site. So it's marrying the old with the new. So you're, you're kind of like the traditional processes, but they need to be done in a far more digitized, more intelligent process, as opposed to being in the factory completely off-site, is what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's a few things that we want. There's a whole bunch of stuff that we do. But when back in the day when we first got started, one of the things that I experienced from studying industrial design and then moving into architecture um, was I became aware that the process that you go through for most um, homeowners if they commission a house or an extension or construction work is that they have to hire an architect and a contractor and a structural engineer and all these consultants and they haven't got a clue what they're doing and it's a very risky process 
And I compare that to the experience that you get as a consumer from going and buying a car or a bike or any number of consumer products. It's very different. You know, you go out to someone and like the car manufacturer and you trust them and you pay them an awful lot of money and they guarantee you the product and you only deal with them. So that was kind of the, the, the observations that I had before we started were a you know, if you look at most industrial design products, they are designed digitally. They usually use digital manufacturing. So, for example, if you look at your iPhone or your bike, there is no part of it has been made by hand. It's all made using digital design and modern methods of uh, manufacturing that take the digital design and transform it into a physical thing. So, you know, there was the, the, the knowledge that, that digital processes already exist in the world but also that the formation of a company that would provide just a much better way of doing things for, for the private consumer in particular would be deliver a better product, uh, deliver a better service for the customer. So, you know, we started out with those two things, kind of like, let's build a company that can do everything for the customer and take full responsibility, act more like a, a product manufacturer, particularly things like um, research and development is a really critical one. So if you look at the construction industry, particularly in the, in the area of, of homes, you have some really great manufacturers out there making products like windows and specific bits of uh, specific building components. You have architects who are designing houses for customers, but don't really get paid to do research and development and contractors definitely don't do research and development so there's a kind of missing bit in the middle which is how how are products formed and developed over time and how do you get that level of continuous improvement so for me that was a big gap and so uh, you know what we've set out to do is build the first home brand if you like the the, the home as a product that can be sold to a customer as a as a consumable product that has all of those all of those things, the digital manufacturing, the continuous improvement, improved quality, performance, guarantee from a single um, company to say, you know, this is good. I mean, if, if the, the analogy is quite interesting. If you look at um, most modern products like cars or bicycles, they actually contain loads of components that weren't made by the manufacturer. So your bike will have wheels by uh, somebody and then gears by Shimano, but the, the manufacturer, they make the frame, the chassis, and they make sure that all the other bits work with it. You know, they just because they haven't made all the bits doesn't mean they can't guarantee it works. Um, whereas, Much like in, in construction, you have all the specialist trades. Yeah, and in construction, the, the the responsibilities are very diffuse. You know, the responsibility for getting it right is like, is it the architect's fault? Is it the engineer's fault? Is it the con contractor's fault? It's the, just the pure fact that you've got individual companies who who are working in their own interests you know they've got to protect their interests they've got their own commercial interests they've got their own liabilities so there's a lot of kind of stuff that happens in traditional construction which is just uh, you know it's a lot of time wasted to protect oneself and not necessarily in the interest of the customer in terms of risk and liability and all that stuff whereas as uh, you know the way that we operate almost right? never in the interest of the customer. well yeah exactly and we just we just crack on because we are the the one and only kind of person responsible if there's a problem on our project it's our problem it doesn't matter who has whose fault it is we have to sort it out so that brings a lot of trust from the customer can, can i ask so we recently had someone on the show who is all about custom and self-build projects are you custom do you class, classify yourself as like custom and self you talked about a certain brand of house there you're trying to define the brand are you custom or self-build how do you see yourself 
Yeah, and at the moment we operate in the custom self-built market right now. So we sell our products to uh, consumers who own their own land and are finding somebody to commission them to build their house. And some of our um, customers do what we call self-finish. So I wouldn't say our customers are self-builders. They are custom builders. They're people who who want to get involved and want to, you know, they want to build a house. Some of them want to get more involved than others. Most, I would say, 80% of our customers want us to do absolutely everything, you know, from start to finish. And we do everything. I mean, we do design, planning, utility, services, structure, you know, uh, fabrication, manufacturing, literally absolutely everything. We're probably one of the only companies in the UK who does that. So that's one of the reasons that a lot of people come to us is because we have that capability and we, you know, a lot of companies don't want to get involved. Like they just, like, I, why would they want to get involved in utilities? Like, you know, UKPN and all that stuff. Of all like, the things you don't want to get involved it. with, it's utilities. <laughs> it's utilities. But we know our customers are not capable and somebody, so, you know, we take on stuff not because it's commercially interesting, but because it delivers a good service. So, you know, again, we're building a kind of overall package and brand for the customer. But in terms of, you know, our market is at the moment custom and self-build, but the goal is to become a house builder over time. So the next step for us is we are working with a small developer and a large developer, uh, and we're gonna be hopefully in 2024 building our first multi-unit scheme. So, you know, for us, that's the, the, the future is both continuing on the custom build market, building bespoke couture high end product, but also starting to get some scale into multi unit schemes. That's the interesting word, right? Is scale. So, when we were talking about custom and self build, I was trying to picture a world where you could scale this customized approach. And it does actually feel, my understanding now, or how I feel about that part of the sector is that a there's legislation coming in to very much support it. There's products coming in from lenders and so on to actually support that approach as well. And then there's intelligent, clever people like you and your business who are actually making that process scalable. How far away do you feel you are from actually being able to scale the brand, as you put it? Well, I mean, there's two there's two different things there. There's there's a there's a question on is the is the custom self-build market going to scale are, are we going to see much scale in that market arguably will we'll see some but i don't think it's going to be anywhere near as big as uh, a lot of people were hoping you know we've been looking at um, been involved nah it's it's i haven't seen anybody successfully do it at scale yet it's becoming more popular you know and like small sites five units ten, ten i don't units think many schemes. people knew about it yeah, I mean, no, I mean, it's a big, it's it's a big movement that's been happening for you know already five or six years. There's a big development down in Graven Hill, which we're involved in. We've built two so far, we're on our third house. The rate of success on these projects is variable. Some of them are fantastic, some of them are uh, not so great in terms of delivering what we need to. So I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit skeptical as as to how it will definitely be bigger. But how much it it will really make an impact on the overall housing stock, um, I don't think it's going to be huge. Uh, I think what we're really lacking is actually really good quality design, really good good quality homes, something that's suitable, you know, that's sustainably manufactured, that's um, uh, environmentally uh, high performance. That is what we're missing. So that's why we're starting to work with developers, not on kind of a custom build front, but on a literally 
get a site, go and build out a, lot, a bunch of homes. And the, interestingly, the one of the companies that we're working with, who I won't mention yet because it's not fully disclosed, is the the community aspect of our manufacturing approach is a really interesting one. So maybe we can just talk about our kind of core core products and our manufacturing approach and then go on to talk about how how it differs from kind of modular construction. So we we produce what we call the facet chassis, which is our essentially it's like big wooden Lego. It's entirely designed on the computer. It's uh, big building blocks which are all sorts of different shapes and sizes. Just like Lego, there's there's the um, standard ones, but then you get also the special ones that are just for that particular set. It's a very similar analogy. So we produce uh, manufactured timber frame components, which are big, essentially big hollow plywood components of lots of different shapes and forms. They are designed using uh, building information modeling, and then they go through a, a kind of manufacturing process, which is our back end process. And then they are manufactured using digital um, manufacturing. Specifically, we use CNC routing, which is a computer controlled cutter, essentially. Um, cutting flat sheets, and then the flat sheets make parts, and then those parts are assembled into components, big the wooden blocks, and then the blocks go into the building. So we have this kind of uh, process whereby the, the aim of the game is to have uh, as fewer steps from people that, that humans uh, specifically who could meddle with our process so we can go from the computer model to a physical built product that is uh, literally like a translation like a digital translation from the computer model to physical and when you say built product you mean effectively the frame of the building yeah the shell so, of the building yeah so it, it's an what it's an advanced frame so we, we call it a chassis because it's more like the chassis of a car if you think about the difference between a frame you love and a chassis, this car analogy you, don't you well it's it's an interesting <laughs> one because or a bike like that you know a bike uh, chassis if you like it's more detailed right a frame generally needs reworking you've got to cut a bunch of holes in it you've got to batten it out you've got to run cables through it you know there's a whole bunch of reworking also typically the frame is limited so it won't include drainage channels and falls for drainage and ventilator cavities and service cavities and holes for utilities and like there's a whole bunch of stuff that a frame doesn't include that a chassis does so it's it's a much more detailed frame than you would than, than a standard I accept the distinction uh, building frame, now, which is i'm with you thank you thank you <laughs> um and 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 the, so so the point of the chassis as opposed to frame is about the agility of the construction so by creating a product, we can control the rest of the construction from the inside out. So, for example, we can have, as soon as the chassis is erected, we can have the um, plumber putting in his plumbing at the same time as the insulation installer installing the insulation, at the same time as the electrician wiring in the, wi the, the electrics, um, at the same, same time as the Explain. mechanical heat recovery. How? So we've defined, because, so... For example, the components are hollow and they have very small separated holes for using a blown insulation. We use a blown insulation so that it's not getting in the way of other elements. We have specific service channels which are only for electrics. We have a very detailed um, model which defines where the uh, heat recovery ducts go so they don't interact with the plumbing. So we're able to have multiple contractors on site at the same time or in reverse order or in sequential order which means that you have the agility absolutely i can understand that and so in terms of 
you, you talked initially from getting what we want is to have as fewer human hands meddling as possible in the process from the digital design through to the chassis on site erected and ready for then trades to come in approximately what's the timeline to get the chassis up if you look at our it so it's the thing that we do is we don't measure just the time to put the chassis up you can knock a frame up in two days if you want to but how long does the overall project take that's the point like how much time have you got to put on all the other things so for us, the, the chassis, if you look at it, is pretty typical in terms of how long things take. So like six weeks to get a frame up for a large property. But our overall build time is for, for the kind of projects that we do, let's say a, a 400 square meter high end house, complicated AV, you know, the full kit and caboodle. Normally, a traditional contractor is going to take 18 months to do that. We'll do it in 10. So, you know, we're we're like massively cutting down but also not only are we doing that because other people say well you know i saw this thing on tv and they put up a house in three days and it's like well yeah they did do that but it was in you had to order it 12 months in advance and it took you know three months in the factory and it's like well where, some point it's got to be made so how quick was it to make full stop you've got to measure the whole thing you can't just go well i'm just looking at the bit on site but it had to be made over there Bang. it's turned up exactly no so I, I i completely agree with you and actually that brings us quite nicely onto what i want to talk about next you know the difference between off-site volumetric and real-time on-site but let's take a quick break here bruce Hello, it's me again. I wanted to share a quick story with you on why I co-founded Sealink with my best mate Chris. Chris and I, we're both QSs, and this is going to sound sad, but one night we were sat in the pub talking about subcontract tendering and we realised the industry had a problem. Number one, procurement was too paper-based. Number two, it was too time-consuming and every QS had their own unique way of doing things. And number three, perhaps most importantly, if you want to competitively tender, you need to know hundreds of the best subcontractors. We simply didn't. That's why we created C-Link. It's software to solve subcontract tendering. We wanted to remove these challenges and help the industry get better. So if you, or someone you know, tenders with subcontractors, you've got to see our software. Head over to our link, www.get.c-link.com forward slash podcast to find out more. I will include it in the description box. So again, there's no excuses. Now, let's get right back to the show. So, Bruce, you kind of put me in my place there, didn't you, by saying it's not all about how quickly the chassis goes up. It's the overall picture. And I think that makes perfect sense to me. I was just saying to you off air that a client of ours has just completed a similar-ish kind of project to the one that you've described, whereby high-end resi house, big spec on the M&E, home entertainment, etc. And rather than the 18 months that you were describing, has probably finished it in more like 10, 30 months. Yeah. No, the 18 months in, in the traditional, they, they, they've actually delivered it in 30 versus your your 10 months. But what I wanted to talk to you about specifically today was you talked briefly there about effectively modular, you know, you can build a house in a factory, get it delivered to you, etc, which there does seem to be 
an upward trend, not only in sentiment, but also in funding and legislation towards off-site volumetric fabrication. Build a house, as much of it off-site as possible. That's the best place to do it. Bring it to site and then reduce the overall site period, etc., etc. What you appear to be delivering, what you appear to be arguing for, if you like, and, and recommending, which is why I'm inspired to have this conversation, is actually real-time on-site manufacturing as opposed to off-site volumetric. Could you talk to us about why that is? I guess, first and foremost, what that is. I mean, I think there's there's two things. The, the kind of move towards volumetric manufacturing off-site for housing has been very bumpy, I think, as a ride. You know, there's a lot of big companies investing in it in the last five years, and some of them are being successful, but I would say I would say very few. You know, there's really only one or two who've actually managed to consistently to do this. So, and I think, and it will become more popular and it, and it will succeed in some level. But I think the interesting thing is it will, it makes up a very small proportion of what we do currently, maybe just a couple of percent. And even if that reaches to five or six of six percent of the market, you've still got the other 96% left. So what are we going to do? You know, there, there is a desire and need for tools that will, that will, everybody knows that we need to move on from traditional contracting because we're running out of labor. You know, the traditional contracting model is based on very low skilled, uh, low paid labor. It's just gone, you know, since Brexit. So prices are going through the roof. We need to have solutions. And uh, so that, and that's where the reason that we've always been on site is because it's very uh, accessible, you know, that manufacturing things on site or just using the site as a, a place to work is very low cost. You know, it doesn't have the capital overheads that you have for going and setting up a factory. So from a, a kind of commercial perspective, it's a kind of un, untested field is what happens when you take technology into the site. So for us, I'm scared already, Bruce. It's not scary, though. I mean, so so what we what, what, from the beginning we said right our focus is always on um, digitizing and manufacturing. So the other thing that you might notice uh, if you look hard enough is that some of the companies do doing offsite fabrication are just making stuff by hand. They're like in a factory, put nailing stuff together by hand. So and we so. Our focus is always on digital because we have done off-site manufacturing as well. At the moment, we're back on-site. Uh, so the focus sorry, is on the digital. Is, isn't the point that regardless of whether the, or the arguments I've always heard that are compelling for off-site manufacture is that regardless of whether it's a machine doing it or a person doing it, they're doing it in a far more controlled environment, which you don't have on-site because... The wind blows or whatever happens on site and therefore that causes problems well okay so let's so let's look at this so we we said well we think we can use this digital manufacturing process on site and we have not only just thought of it as an idea we've actually done it and proven it so what we do is we take our shipping container which has got our computer control cutter we drop it down on the building site we build the temporary cover just in scaffold as a kind of a workshop area in front of it and uh, we have our cnc machine plywood gets delivered straight from the dock side to the building site uh, it gets fed into the machine sheet by sheet and gets cut and then assembled immediately and then uh, installed into the building and actually 
it is a very good working environment. You know, we, it, it's got temporary cover. It's got very simple machine operation, very simple tools to to assemble, and it's um, from a from a economic perspective. In terms of how are we going to improve these things with realistic models that don't involve billions of pounds of investment, you know, it's very low capital intensive. Um, and we are, you know, also it does things like we're putting this machine on site. Um, we don't have to manufacture in advance. We get paid sooner because we're getting material there when we need it. We manufacture it and we put it in the building site. We get paid. So like you bring in the QS of out time. of me here, Bruce. Yeah, I was just. I mean, it's great. Exactly what the QS in me was just thinking. Yeah, and actually, really admire what you're doing because I talked about a lot of the big money, let's say, going into volumetric offsite, and it's all these huge, you need a huge warehouse, you need this huge space, you need masses of money. But what you're actually saying is you can bring a controlled environment to site that is cheaper, cost-effective, and a far greater improvement on quality than the traditional. And that, like you say, commercially, it's viable, and commercially, you're getting paid for it on site. Which is great. That's a QS. And, and and also, like actually, if you just really look at a construction site and you say, well, what are the issues here? Like quality, for example. How Why are got? things built better in a factory? <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's not. The thing is, what happens in a factory is generally there's just standard checking procedures. Like if you go and build an aeroplane, the only real, real reason that aeroplanes don't build fall out of the sky is because they have the tightest quality control procedures in the world, and they check and they check and they check and they check. And that's all people do in a factory anyway. Like, you can do that on site. You just need to be prepared to pay for it. So people are like, oh, we're going to move everything into the factory and we're going to uh, make, make everything there. And then they follow really good manufacturing techniques and, and quality assurance things, which people haven't even bothered to try and implement on, on you know, standard construction. So we're built, what we do is we build a suite of tools because we have this digital model. We're able to build a suite of tools to match that the tie-in uh, uh, quality assurance procedure with standard checks which are which go against our standard components so every build that we do has the same core components it has the same heating system the same foundations the same framing the same door sets the same like everything and then there's a level of customization in terms of kitchen and cladding so because it's got that level of standardization and a, and a kind of digital framework underneath it we can then apply quality quality assurance procedures against it um, with kind of like just standard uh, methodologies and we we have a like an online user handbook which has all of our kind of procedural best practice stuff so uh, as as a company it's you know it's not just the chassis that's our product it's a whole suite of tools which are supply chain management uh, financial constraints uh, you know profit profit and loss tracking and we build digital tools across the uh, company but they kind of all tie back to this single digital model uh, like everything's tied back to that one way or another when you're standardizing things as you are as well it then makes feeding into that standardization a hell of a lot easier as well because 50 percent of every project pulling numbers out there is is standardized i'm interested in what you said there about you know there's certain elements that are always the same does that mean like you've, you you've done things the old way and you're now doing things the new way at facet which sounds great when you are approaching a project you're doing your tender submission and you are 
thinking about what the final cost should be to the client, what the final program should be to the client. How much more confidence do you have in in yourself thinking this program is going to be 10 months? It's not going to be maybe 12 or 13. It's going to be 10 because I know I'm going to deliver 60% of it in three months or whatever it is. Do, do you feel that change like almost anecdotally in yourself? You think we know we can do this? Yeah, the, the longer we go on, the more data we have. So that's the thing. Everything we do, we track. So literally every single construction task that we employ people to do is tracked against a budget. We have like really detailed data that comes through and we use that data to track A, what it costs, B, whether we need to change the product, are we undercharging and also the time aspects. And then we experiment with each project about, you know, the slight changes in the sequence and the events and, and then we're, we're able to, uh, as we go on, be more and more confident and be more and more accurate. And this is that thing, this evolution of product, evolution of process. But just going back to your comment a second ago, the key thing that we do is we, we have standard tools or we have standards and methodologies and, and kind of components that we work with. But the digital framework that's around it allows every project to be essentially different. You know, that's the important thing, because what the market wants, what consumers want is differentiation. They want individual houses or individual developments with a with a certain flavor or house different typologies within one development. Yeah, that's exactly why I, I do think that the custom build market, there's something in it, because as you say, as a can as a broad consumer base we all want to have some kind of customization we don't all want to be in the same housing stock etc but I, I i do understand what you're saying about it then becomes more of a challenge to scale we can it, but- bring that to a larger market though that's the point at the moment the assumption is that a developer will have to go out and build you know a hundred identical houses because of the cost constraints and, and all of the other things we're proving that you know we're not going to do every one of them different that's not going to be commercial if you're building 60 houses but for zero additional cost, we can we can build in you know three different house types with a, a level of differentiation in each one. So you end up with you know uh, 24 different homes really easily with zero additional cost. That's really difficult to do when you're offsite manufacturing. 100%. And I absolutely love this, Bruce, because I am a bit of a skeptic for um, offsite volumetric fabrication. I've always like you say, it's been a bit of a bumpy ride, hasn't it? But it does the, the narrative has always been it's the best thing. It's going to save us. It's going to be the the thing that saves us all. And I've always been skeptical about that. I love what you're doing. One thing I wanted to touch on just briefly before we get to the end of the show, because we've talked about it a lot on this show, is BIM. Now we've talked about BIM with a variety of different experts, always trying to cater for. BIM and the SME market. The majority of people listening or a lot of people listening will be working at SME developers, SME contractors, subcontractors, architects. Um, And I always feel like BIM is a tool for the tier ones, the big companies. They're the ones who've been able to benefit from it. But And I know that's changing and, and you are the perfect example of a business that uses BIM that is an SME and is using it well and to to good effect. Could you talk to us about how you've integrated it into your business and why you have integrated it into your business? Well, I think one of one of the things to say about our business is we're highly technically proficient. You know, that's one of the the core skills in our business is is our ability to use uh, design tools. Like fundamentally, that is absolutely critical. So it's not a 
it's not something that we just add in that is the core of the business so uh, i've been using revit since you know for forever but i think the point is that if you have a level of proficiency within your business to use it you can make create value out of it so as a contractor as we are we would do things that an architect wouldn't do in bim because we can leverage the the data out of it so you know we do very specific ways and standards of modeling so that we can schedule things instantly so i can get all of my quantities for insulation plasterboard all of that stuff in real time uh, instantly at any point during the design development process and then we use that information to go on and deliver the contract so we will do always do bills of quantities for our subcontractors because we've got so much confidence in in the information that we're producing so we can get quick quotations quick and you know everybody's happy so if you are prepared to in put the effort in get the technical competency staff to, to do it figure out what the capabilities are it's it's such a powerful tool i think it's quite hard as the individual designer who's separated from that to get um the the power out of it unless you've got a decent sized project i think you know especially at the smaller scale that we're at it's not very unusual for people to be using revit if they're doing one-off houses because it's a fairly it's a it's quite a big tool you know it's quite a hefty tool and i think you need to have had some experience in bigger practice to, to be able to benefit from it but strategically what do you feel like it gives you as a business i mean it gives us absolute control you know i mean we can detail our, our buildings as much as we want we've got the guarantee of quality we we integrate it into our supply chain it allows us to to deliver the the building so we actually connect our manufacturing system into it so we've created this system whereby quite a lot of design processes you see people exporting data from revit or in their bin platform into another structural framing system and then re-importing it back in and then checking against and it's very messy what we've done is created a very streamlined process that we call bin to manufacture which is taking data out of the bin model and then spitting it out and putting it straight into manufacture one way or another whether that's final frame sizes for the window manufacturer or data going into our own production system that we don't have to upstream it back in again and check it it's a, you, if ever you, there was a there was an endorsement bruce for why someone should use bin bim sorry not bin is um it gives you absolute control and that is a fantastic endorsement for why people should potentially use it is there one bit of advice you would give to someone listening about how to start integrating bim into the way that they work so that they can have a bit of the control that you have over your business uh, I think it depends on the kind of business, but I, I would say what the, the new landscape seems to be is that contractors are moving towards BIM. And they're, I know this is already happening at a larger scale because the larger contractors are being forced into delivering their contracts through a BIM model and they're learning how to do that. But I would say that there's definitely value for smaller contractors as well. Um, but just to understand how it can integrate with your process before you start um, integrating it. If you know what you want to get out of it and where it's going to fit in, then you can make it really powerful. If you just bring it into the business as somebody says you should, and you don't really know what you're going to get out of it, it's a bit of a waste of time. So I think if you understand the fundamentals. That's exactly why it's so powerful for you, because strategically, you know you want standardization. You know you want to be reducing as many processes as possible. And that is what it gives you, right? Yeah, exactly wonderful bruce i mean i knew this would be an interesting conversation but i'm even happier because it's uh supports my 
thesis and scepticism on off-site manufacturer to some degree. Thank you so much for coming on the show, mate. I will be sharing Bruce's details um, in the podcast description. You find out details about Facet. Go and have a look at some of the amazing schemes they've done, and they are great. And even Sealink was a little bit involved, so I'm I'm happy about that. But thanks so much for coming on the show, mate. No problem. Thank you very much. Awesome. See you next week, guys. Cheers. Thank you.